This is the Common Sense Podcast presented by Tamar. I'm your host, Tamar Weinberg, founder and CEO of Tamar, and I will be talking to people of all walks of life who have suffered adversity and overcome to rise above the ashes and now make self-care and wellness an absolute priority. Hi, everybody. Today, we are with Juliana, aka Jules Kotokela. She comes and she hails from the Bay Area on the West Coast, and thank you so, so very much for coming. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, hi, everybody. I'm Jules Kotokela. I'm the founder and CEO of Cheeky. Cheeky is a smart wearable system where we manage and monitor your mental health and your emotions in real time. A little bit about that, right? How did I kind of come here from, from that? Um, originally, actually, I hailed from consulting. So back in the day, about for a decade, um, back in the you know early thousands, um, I worked for a big four management consulting firm and uh, loved it. I actually got to create my first startup within a big four. And um, that was wonderful. So I got to create a studio and I created five studios across the US and I really loved my job and I loved being in consulting. Um, I have two small children, which is a nice fact, as well as a three-legged cat (laughs) named Little Bear that I rescued. Um, And, you know, being on the road four or five days out of the week, every week was definitely tiresome and trying on, you know, family life, but it really started hitting home when I would be talking with my girls at night on Skype and, you know, hi girls, how are you? What's going on? And everything was always fine. Everything's fine, fine. And I'm like, wow, (laughs) what is this? And then, um, you know, going into a parent teacher conference for my oldest daughter, Gia, um, I find that she's having issues at school and she's being bullied by another um, girl in another grade. And What really hit home to me was understanding how did fine become synonymous with I need help and I'm having a problem, mom. That never came out, right? So, of course, it was all about me. I blamed myself. But I started thinking about that, you know, about sharing our emotions and being really open and honest and having that with everybody. Um, And what I realized is that children and most adults actually, lack the ability to articulate how they feel at any given point in time. And we project sometimes not necessarily who we are, but who we want people to think we are. And, and, you know, everything was always great. You look at a lot of social media and it's very difficult to really say, Hey, I'm having a bad time or I'm, I'm not okay. So I really wanted to switch that and change the way that people understood um, not only just mental health, but their emotions in real time and be able to give them the tools and techniques to adjust that and to live the life that, you know, really made them happy. I love that. I love that. How old are your girls? Uh, my oldest is 10 and my youngest is three. Wow. I have a four-year-old and an 11-year-old, but I also have two in the middle. So <laughs> I get it. I get it. I totally understand the, the challenges of trying to understand what my children are dealing with. I have some that are just very uh things are okay like they won't say anything i can't even get a fine you're lucky you got the fine um i'm lucky if i get you know a smile (laughs) i don't even know the facial expression lack is lacking in one child another child won't say a word another child talks way too much it's like a it's like it's very interesting dynamic that children are so different in terms of how they articulate what's going on some really want the 
acceptance and they'll say whatever and they'll be very open and others it's just like this is this is this is who they are and let me talk to my friends and yeah it's hard it's also like you don't want to ever have your child be bullied and to possibly think that that's like you're in denial until you actually hear about it in a different context unfortunately you find out in a different context you don't ever find out from your children it's a challenge um especially now like bullying is such a widely recognized thing that they're trying to curb so you're like oh that can never be my child and then that happens and you're just like what and then all of a sudden you just have to get into like you know as a parent you're it's all of a sudden you have to get very serious about what you need to do um and it changes it changes the entire game for you it's hard it's hard yeah so explain to me uh i i I lost i lost it but um explain to me how you came up with cheeky is it like is it explain to me what the what what it is and was it was it an output of this these particular the the family dynamic that you're you're describing right now or was it more and i don't want to call it the family dynamic it's just the parent child dynamic in general or was it is it related to that tangentially tell me a little bit more about the products yeah so it was definitely related to the problem but i looked at that problem and i took a step back and i looked at it even wider than just my daughter and I, I looked at myself, I looked at my friends, I looked at my family, I looked at my community and my tribe. And the problem didn't change, right? It was still the same problem. And in fact, you see it widespread everywhere. Um, Not only is it a problem with children, but look at adults, right? Everybody is perfect on social media. You don't see, um, it's almost like that Kardashian effect, right? Where, um, you know, it's always that best moment, the best selfie, the best, you know, second, it doesn't give you the real, um, understanding of what somebody's going through at any given point in time. Right. And when people really need help, they don't ask for it. You know, it's like, what do you, what, what happens when you go, Hey, how are you doing? And they don't say good. If they start saying, Oh, it's a really terrible day, blah, blah, blah. You're like, Whoa, I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) Right. And people kind of back up a little bit. Um, so Chi, Chi, Chiki, how we came up with, you know, the name for Chiki was Chi is your inner energy force. And key is how do we give you the key to unlocking your actual full potential? That is very cool. Um, I, I'm into, uh, I'm into the running community a little bit. I talk about this a little bit. I don't consider myself someone who's really part of it, but I'm f- fully familiar with the, and I say that just because I think all runners are in denial unless they're marathoners. But I'm fully aware that there's a, a big uh, Bible in the runners community called Chi Running. So it's, it's, it's nice to be able to harness that. Um, so tell me how this whole thing works. How, what exactly does Chiki do? Uh, how, what, is it like a service? Is it a, what, 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 is, what is the offering? So Chiki is actually a smart wearable mood ring. Um, coupled with an app that allows you to change your feelings instantly. So within the mood ring itself, the smart wearable ring, um, we take, we have your temperature, your heart rate variability, your blood oxygenation, um, your sweat and your vocal biomarkers. So your speech patterns and all of those different things we use your biophysiological signals. And we use those to determine 
your emotional state, which then corresponds to your mood. So with that information, you think like, okay, so what? Um, it's not only understanding and monitoring where you are right now, but it's also kind of forward thinking of where do you want to be or where do you want to go, right? Sometimes people say, oh, it's just about making you happy. No, um, because happiness to me is different than happiness to you. Happiness to me might um, be calmness or serenity, right? And there's different things and recommendations that are provided um, at each of those different things. So if I'm, you know, feeling a little sad, but I want to be calm and serene, the distance between where I'm at right now, my current emotional state and my target is going to be um, the intensity of the recommendation that we provide you. So right now I'm working with UCSD on our second clinical trial to address anxiety and depression in young adults. And also we're working with the National Institute of Health on making Cheeky um, a monitoring gold standard for uh, smart wearables. That's so cool. Okay, so I need to talk to you separately and offline about that because I, you know, you you talk about mental health in a different capacity. My my story is actually sort of similar and I kind of, you know, I talked about like that's that's actually the impetus to launch the common sense podcast for myself is that i came from the tech world i'm actually very big on wearables i my my i i i'm definitely going to check out the cheeky ring but one of my wish list items on top of that is uh the aura ring because i totally want to see how like and <laughs> I think, as you can tell, reflects the fact that I got no sleep last night. So it's it's like I want to know this. I want to see all the data that that it garnered off me. And it's it's the challenges of launching a, a a business in the middle of a pandemic, which is what I did. So the short, the thirty second version of this, I'm going to actually put a timer on myself right now. Here is that you know I was depressed, and um, the thing that got brought me out of depression was uh, fragrance. And coming from the tech world. And seeing fragrance as a non-sexualized product, I got super excited and I decided I was going to launch my own personal fragrance brands. And based on my anecdotal experience of feeling that fragrance actually brought me out of mental health, um, uh, brought me brought me out of a low place in mental health. I was on a cocktail of medications. Life was crappy for me. So that's the 30-second version. So the um, now... I, I'm actually, I want to commission a study in some ways to show the validity of my anecdotal experience. And so I would love to, to hear about that experience. Again, this is more of an offline thing, but at the same time, I'm, I'm saying it, I'm, I'm going to say it, I'll probably keep, it, I'll keep the recording in the podcast because I think that it's, it's so important to, to make, to validate these, these experiences, these claims. And I think it's, I think it's amazing. And it's very cool that you're doing this. So you said this is your second trial. Let me, let, yes. let me hear, you know, give me a little bit about uh, uh, detail on your, your life cycle of, of like how, where you, how you got to where you are today. Um, oh, wow. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, well, where do we start? That's a, it's a big open-ended question there. Um, you know, being in management consulting, I was in tech. I used to do backend development coding um, and moved on within, you know, my career to a major advocate and teacher of design thinking. Um, then creating the studio and incorporating kind of the creative side as well as the scientific. My background's in mathematics and economics and um, with that focus being on game theory. So kind of bringing both of the left and the right side of the brain kind of together collectively, more of not just having the 
technical back end and and the wherewithal and the know-how, but also kind of you know marrying that up with the creative elements to design anything and everything. It really um, sparked my a lot of my interest, and so it was always you know not can it be it, it's not you know it was nothing was ever impossible. Possibility was always there. It was just how do you imagine it to be and then you know making sure that what we design and develop is practical feasible and then valuable right so that kind of led into you know doing that for hundreds of companies in consulting um I created kind of like a SWAT team arsenal of five different core skill sets data science developers designers um industry experts and business um experts as well depending on what function of the business that we would be going into and um, basically dropping in and within four to six weeks producing um, a prototype that would produce um, impactful results and value immediately. So using kind of like that skill set. Um, and also I used to do the strategy for analytics for all of um, Deloitte Consulting. So that taking those different components with me in my new bag, <laughs> as I started my own company, I saw the problem. I validated the need, um, did some initial user testing and um, grew that out, right? It was just about um, understanding the problem, verifying that there was an actual market opportunity, understanding the SWOT analysis of it, and then executing on what you wanted to do, ensuring that one, it was feasible and two, it was viable and valuable at the price point and determination that you were looking at. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So tell me a little bit about maybe your launch. I, I, I'm very, very curious to hear like, like, you know, bringing that to market. And I mean, obviously you're, you're, you're in the process of ex like extraordinarily doing thorough research with researchers, <laughs> um, you're, you're really, you know, you're validating what you have going on. Um, obviously, I know that that's a part of like, you know, just making sure this product, it speaks to its promises, if you will. Um, tell me, tell me a little bit about, yeah, tell me a little bit about yeah, so the, the, the process of what you did and, and, and how people, you know, got to learn about you. Um, so far, in terms of from a commercialization aspect, we're working in beta, right? So the beta is really with confirming, like doing the clinical trials, ensuring the validity in the um, of our sensor package and our technology, right? That, that goes into pretty heavily after this, um, the end of this year, then we're going to be actually launching in the market for all consumers. Right now, we're only giving them to the actual beta participants. And the reason why is because we're actually also working with the FDA um, in that whole process to make this a medical class two device. Now, why? There's a lot of different reasons behind that, but essentially one, we have the clinical trial and the validity of our results behind us. And then secondly, um, there is no like class two devices for what we do, especially around mental health. Um, the accuracy, especially around the wearables department, is kludgy at best. Um, it's it's not very accurate for the most part of many things. So we really wanted to become the gold standard for um, a ring form factor. Um, I know that there's other parties that are out there that are using, you know, that have some different sensors and such, but 
they don't have the sensor package and the robustness that we do um, or the ability to um, capture mental health. I, I will say, I just loaded the website and I think this is one of the most amazing products ever as I am so excited to follow this. I think that there is so much potential and, and just hearing it from your voice, hearing your, your storytelling, hearing what you have going on. I mean, there, this is, this is like going to be a game changer. I, I'm like speechless just talking to you. Like, I mean, I'm not the smartest person in the room by any stretch, but <laughs> like, this is like, wow, wow. I am so excited to, to learn more about this and follow your progress as you, as you go along and make this happen. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, how you had mentioned earlier and how, you know, the product page talks about, you know, choosing and, and kind of changing your emotional state. How does that, what is like the science behind that and how does that work? So it's pretty intense. Um, I don't know if I've got <laughs> how much time to, to tell you about emotional classification and, you know, using Wavelet or fast barrier transformations. Um, essentially, it's understanding where you're at, right? And doing a feature extraction. So having the signals come in, understanding and classifying that each individual has a different baseline or normal, right? Happy to you might resonate at a very different level on your spectrum than to me, right? Each individual has to, so everybody's completely hyper-personalized with where they, where they sit, but at the end of the day, it's still a spectrum. Um, it's understanding that as well as um, moving it forward to, you know, your, your target state. So where do you want to go? And it's all relative to where you're at right now. So if your happiness though sits at a much, you know, lower level, just because of how you might operate, right. Your body and, you know, your, your biophysiological needs, that's fine. And if you want to go to a different space, it's just going to take the, the change or the Delta, the movement between your current, your target to ascertain that. This is gonna be the coolest thing to follow. I cannot wait until like you got like the CNN, CNET headlines, you know, technology to follow in the 2020s, the, yeah, this new millennial, whatever you call it, <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> this is, that, it's just, it just, it, you're, I will say that this podcast is blowing me away and what you're working on is absolutely blowing me away. I've, I've spoken to a lot of women founders, you know, I've spoken to a lot of doers but like, this is like, you know, you have this whole science and aggregate, you're working with the FDA, you're doing this and that. And it's, I mean, I will say I'm, it's, it's really an honor to be able to talk to you about this. No, so. I mean, to us, you know, I mean, if you think about it, right, from your family and your friends and your life, quality is non-negotiable for us. You know, where people say that accuracy, they're accurate, this and that. I put my money where my mouth is, right? If you're child or your family member or your best friend, um, you know, that's a lot of trust that people instill in you. And I think that you have to take that seriously and judiciously and ensure that you're making those attempts to ensure the validation and the movement forward. And also, you know, I'm really trying to break that stigma. Um, I've had a lot of friends who committed suicide over the years and it's always hindsight's 2020 and why didn't I reach out or why didn't I know, or why didn't I see that clue? 
it's just it allows people in a virtual environment and world that we live in today to bridge that gap between their current emotional state. Like, and you have the ability now, like if I could see that other people are not doing so well, I can reach out preemptively because depression, as we know, is like any type of mental health and illness, like it's a slippery slope. There's a time when people sadness is totally okay and fine to have, but you know, what happens when it's three months of sadness, right? And when do you start kind of having the ability or you, you see this going on and, or there's some sort of a, a large emotional swing left or right. It's good to be able to be aware of that for, so that you can do those things. So you can, you know, reach out. You, what I have is um, in the app we have, it's called karma points. And it's about just getting connected with other people either, you know, and there's different levels of connectivity in person is very different than, you know, via email or text. So it's not about just always shooting somebody a text. It might be actually like talking to somebody and being in, in front of somebody or on maybe a video call or a zoom call is even better, right? If you can't be in person. So it's just trying to connect all of those different things to really, um, it's not about you or me, it's about we, and it takes a village as an understatement, but that's, what's going to have to happen if, um, we want to change, um, and really save the world. We're not here to change it. We're here to save it. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, and I love how you did that COVID, you integrated the COVID-19 in there because <laughs> these days we have to go on Zoom calls. Unfortunately, face-to-face uh, -face is a lot more challenging, but you know, you're being mindful of the connectivity. We, we have to stay connected. And as humans, it's, it's such human nature to require that. And yeah. yet, yet it's not the most easy, it's not the most, practical thing these days. It's unfortunate that we just can't do it. But, you know, that's obviously a core component and making sure that we maintain connection with our friends to make sure that they're safe, that they don't, you know, die by suicide or anything else. And we can support them in whatever way. So, I mean, yeah, even when we all start returning to work, right? How do we know what people's preferences and what they're okay or comfortable with? So I'm working on that right now actually is giving people just a signal <laughs> green. I'm good to go. Like, you know, high five it <laughs> yellow back up. <laughs> and red, don't get close to me, <laughs> right? You got to have some fun with it too. And that's the other thing is that um, that was what was so great about the original mood ring from the seventies, right? Even though it totally wasn't accurate, it was fun. And, you know, it's a really serious time that we're living in, but there's such an awesomeness to, um, and playfulness that can be incorporated where it doesn't have to be such a stigma and a Debbie Downer about, you know, how you feel if it's sad or bad or glad I feel like Dr. Seuss. Um, you know, so that's kind of another thing that we're working on also is just definitely making taking that playful aspect and incorporating that into who we are and what we do and it's okay to you know not be okay right that's so cool yeah and it, it, it the mood rings are fun and i still i still find them fun when i when i pick them up and yeah i, I never understood any of what it means but it's it's cool that you have these these number these red yellow green blue all the things here and just again it's just hearing, you know, you talk about this to myself, like I'm just in awe because you're really like you're crossing your eyes or crossing your yeah, you're crossing your T's and dotting your eyes. <laughs> so you got you got you're you're covering like like this is I would say it's a groundbreaking experience and like just hearing the 
passion in your voice and like how you are really thinking through this. It's, I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, is there anything that I haven't asked you about this and your journey that I should probably tackle? Um, I think there's a lot of different aspects to hardware versus software, right? <laughs> so uh, I think the devil's in the details with a lot of that. I don't know if people would be interested in hearing so much about that. Um, but there's definitely a lot of complexity with electrical components. Right. I mean, yeah, you're doing something. You, you, you talk about how you come from mathematics and now you're doing this like hardware, software stuff. Yeah. I mean, let me, let me ask you, let me, let me simplify the question or maybe make it a little more basic. What is the size of the team working on this right now? And, and what, like what component, what, how many people are working on the hardware side versus the software side? Maybe that is a better question to ask. Um, hardware is eight but that's, they're not full-time, right? Um, when you think about like uh, a mixed myriad of team members, it, it comes and goes depending on where you're at in your product life cycle, uh, what's being used. So when we're right now, everything's in manufacturing, we're waiting for some, you know, different PCBs to come over. Um, and so the team is instead switched gears and they're working on the QA scripts or something else, right? So you kind of switch gears. Um, from a software perspective, we only have three people. Yeah. And it's not so much needed until everything's out full, like post-launch. Post-launch, we're looking at having a team of 37 total. Very cool. And yeah. where do you sit in that, in that team structure? Oh, I'm the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. <laughs> Look at this. She's so well prepared. No no pauses between my questions and the answers. This is amazing. Yeah, yeah. So you got it all. No, I had to just, I had to read up, right? I mean, you want to trust other people, but at the end of the day, you have to understand when somebody comes to you with a problem and they say that they can't do it because most people will say they can't do it. I, the analogy of... Um, the story of Steve Jobs when they handed him the first phone and they said, we can't make it smaller than this. He takes the phone and he puts it in a fish tank and there's bubbles that come out of it. And he goes, there's air. Of course you have more room. You can, you can, you can make this smaller. That is the same kind of approach that I take with this because people come back and they always say it can't be done, Jules, it can't be done. And so I have to do a good amount of research and due diligence myself to be able to understand. It's not that I have to have hands-on do everything, but I ha you have to understand the overarching picture and the holistic solution itself of what you're trying to do and what's the overarching um, objective and outcome that you're looking to have and ensure that all these moving pieces are coming together. Like nobody else can understand your vision um, and what you want to do better than you. I guarantee it. Right. I mean, over time you bring on more people and you start delegating a lot more of these things, but initially it's same thing with creating content as well. It, it's really difficult from when I designed like the logo, the ring. I mean, like I actually designed from z ground zero, all of these things. So it, it's, you have a lot of other people that work with you, but at the end of the day, you have to kind of steer the ship and lead them to, you know, what you're, uh, what you're trying to see and what you truly uh, view as a vision for the company. Right, right. Absolutely. 
Um, you know, when you gave that ex ex that example of the iPhone being dropped into the fish tank and the bubbles coming out, it mimicked a, a story that I also read. I think it was Henry Ford and how he, he wanted a certain engine, a certain size, and or it was some sort of uh, production capacity that needed to be met. And everybody kept saying to him, it can't be done, it can't be done, it can't be done. And he said, it can be done, it can be done, it can be done. I mean, there are very few people that come back to their quote-unquote hired hired um, employees and they, they're trying to prove them, like they're, they're saying that with my expertise, I can do it, like this is the only way it can be done. And you're like, no, it's going to happen. So like I said, you know, I, having this conversation and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to keep throwing these amazing phrase, uh, praises at you, but like, you know, I feel like I am talking to potentially the next Steve Jobs, Henry Ford person here. You know, that's, that's, uh, I don't want to say it's high praise, but it is, but, but like, I mean, just seeing what you're saying, like your perspective is, I mean, there's like no pauses. I'm not going to have to edit much of, much of what you're, you're saying right now. I always have a, like a lot of ums and ahs, but you're just like, like I'm snapping my fingers here. You're, you just, you just know what you want and your vision is so clear and there it's just, it's just it's inspiring it's awe-inspiring it's it's amazing and i'm i'm so 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 excited to follow this journey so thank you so much i really appreciate that right um yeah it it's it's bringing everybody together to really understand that vision and be on board with it right like i said it takes a village and it really does because for ever for all of this and for this to like actually do really well the product it's going to take everybody getting on board right yeah, absolutely. Um, so let me ask you maybe a startup question, if you're okay with this. Uh, what, like, first of all, how many years has it been since this, like, you started doing this, like, ideating to today? And number two, this is, like, you know, a little bit outside the beaten path of usually what I cover, but because of your story and, and what you're doing, it's not, this is not something that you can easily just come out and do it. I mean, you have, you're going to have 37 people in the future. What exactly, like, has your, and I hope, Again, hopefully this is okay to ask. What is the has the raise been? Have, are you doing? Did you do a uh, any type of crowdfunding, or are you just like going outside with angels? Like, how how have you been supporting the finances of of this um, you know organization to date? Great question. So, um, since inception and ideation, it's been two years, two months. Well, it'll be two year, two months in like three days. So not that long of a time, but then again, you know, when you know what you want and you can execute, <laughs> that's what happens. Um, the raise to date is actually, it's been bootstrapped and we are raising currently. We're looking for two and a half million for our initial raise. And what we're doing actually is working um, with grants right now. So the NIH is, National Institute of Health is, um, we're going through the whole grant process with them and UCSD as an STTR. Um, so, you know, and with the FDA, the FDA does have um, different, if you're like a small business or micro small business, they have reduced fees, <laughs> even though, <laughs> so it's, it's still a lot of money, don't get me wrong, but it's, you know, reduced. So um, to date, that's luckily, so I used to live in India and so my team is actually onshore offshore model. So we have a collective small few here in the US and the rest of the team is actually international. So from India, um, China and Taiwan. That's very cool. 
very very cool and you hired everybody face to face or is there it was was it a remote element because you're clearly you got this global global workforce oh, it was all remote yeah I'm i figured big... as much i didn't know if you were hiring them remotely though <laughs> nowadays yeah. you kind of have to yeah i've never um hired actually any of the team any of the team that's actually worked with me i've all hired the, everybody actually 100 percent remote <laughs> we have had like face-to-face -face calls and so forth but um the proof is in the like tasting the pudding pretty quickly right and going through and vetting large teams which i've done for a considerable amount of time like years in my past life um it's you know and especially in in iot and in hardware it's very clearly um <laughs> within five minutes i know if somebody knows what they're talking about or not which is a good thing and design since i've done design for so many years um same thing with that so it's it's more of ensuring the fit and you know the ability to have produce kind of like a cohesive team across a huge area right hardware firmware software um there's a lot of different people in that and a lot of people sometimes don't really know what um, excellence looks like. And also when you're working with a class device, potentially like, you know, before you're even on that, you need to have your GXP. So your, your, um, basically your good clinical practices for all your design items, uh, your hardware, software, firmware, all of that in place, which is copious amounts of paperwork. I mean, huge paperwork, um, the audit, the traceability matrix, all of that stuff in line. And most people do not have a clue about producing a regulated, um, medical device. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's probably one of the hardest things. Um, so it's, it's working, um, with people to get them and bring them up to speed as well as make, making sure that, um, you know, all your manufacturing partners are already on board and filed and they have those certifications as well. So, yeah. Wow. And, um, I'm going to ask two questions about the product and then I'll probably move to the next part of the uh, podcast, but just, just say satisfying my curiosity here. First of all, you know, I know the, fo the product is focused on women. Um, is there a reason for that? Is it because is, is the, is there a particular like physiology that uh, lends itself to uh, be more relatable? Like, uh, I guess the response from women is different from men, number one. And number two, which is completely unrelated to question number one is, where are you sourcing materials? Because I assume you also have to kind of make sure that, you know, it meets high quality standards, especially knowing, speaking to you, I know that you're not going to do anything less than that. And plus you say it in, on, on the, you know, the product page that your quality is key and non-negotiable. So, um, the first part of the question was, uh, so women do have actually different biophysiological signals, like different, um, heights, let's say strength, intensity, other signals than men, um, which is <laughs> why women are usually classified as being emotional. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that's a true statement, but no, the reason why we went with women first was one, um, I felt that it was a very unrepresented market for wearables for women. Everything that I actually tested and user tested in the marketplace that was out there was these horrifically utilitarian wedding band type of things that I honestly felt were for men. I felt that there was no, no fashion, no sense of elegance or class. Um, I wanted something that was simple, timeless and unique. And 
also women, if you look at the market research, are the largest purchasers within a household and really have 85% of the purchasing power. And they're the most unmet buyer. So from those numbers and really looking at that before, um, it just really kind of focused on the millennial and the Gen Z women first. Um, and although I did create a men's ring, but the men's ring is actually now the women's ring. <laughs> I call it the Z ring truthfully, like, um, because it's really kind of gender neutral, right? Um, it's very fluid. The ring that I thought initially would be for men, all of the women loved it. And that was the, the, the feedback that I received. So, um, and then the children's ring that I actually designed, um, was loved by women as well and children. So it was interesting, some of the overplay, um, and I really felt that the first ring coming out was not about being a man's ring or a woman's ring. I think it's actually more for everybody is what I found. Um, no, it's not utilitarian. It's not like straight band. That's very simple to do. I didn't want to create, recreate that wheel because I thought it just, it just doesn't align with who I am, what our brand is and, and our values. Right. It, it, yeah. Unattractive. Yeah. No. All right. Got it. Got it. So, Okay. So the second question was sourcing materials, and I do have a third question. Sorry, uh, you know, I I know in the picture online, it's it's all about wearing it on your index finger. Is that just a recommendation, or is there any particular finger that you should wear it on? So technically, there's three different fingers that you could really wear it on, right? Your index finger, your middle finger, or your ring finger. The pinky is not uh, supported, um, nor really is the thumb. And the reason why is because um, of the veins and also the size. It's just not as strong of a signal. So it's not supported on your pinky. And the thumb, because of the, um, the bone and the strength of the thumb and the tendons around it, the signal strength is also different. So we recommend the three fingers on either side of the hand is fine. Okay, all right, uh, just curious. Okay, so uh, talking about, and it's amazing that you have like, it's like, I'm telling you, like I ask a question, you don't even have to think about it. I, I just, it's just amazing to hear that. Like so many people, when I, when, I, when I run these podcasts and I ask the questions, there's tremendous pause and I have to like edit like that silence just to consolidate. I don't have to do any of that. So it's great. Um, yeah, so just the last, the last question was about sourcing materials and like where you're doing that right now and how you're like, you know, quality controlling and yeah. So we had to switch everything in our supply chain. Um, we were originally in, in China predominantly and we moved that actually to Canada um, and in Sunnyvale, I know, surprisingly enough. Um, and so all of the companies that we work with now, they have sister companies. So the manufacturers in Canada have sister companies in the United States as well as in Taiwan. And so that's kind of, um, redirected our whole supply chain. And also given that our first primary target market is North America, um, it made sense from also a shipping and, uh, taxation standpoint, think about tariffs and, and so forth like that import export challenges. So this kind of brings everything more holistically on the home ground and reduces the problems with, you know, one thing that we really got impacted by was, um, especially in India, was when the whole country kind of shut down for, you know, what, how many weeks was it? They actually shut down the post office as well. So nothing was in or out of that country. That was problematic. Um, when we were in Wuhan in China in February, when that got, got shut down, that was, you know, it was just, it was luckily we were able to pivot very quickly. 
um, to ensure that um, we had the right connections and just just starting up like plan B essentially. But still, even with that in place, it still took an additional eight to 10 weeks to get everything set up, redone, and get things actually running through the system, right? PCBs and the manufacturing doesn't happen like in an instant. It takes a couple of weeks for the materials for the PCB to be created and then the assembly and then the QA, the testing and so forth. And then you have to load up the firmware, the hardware, all of that um, subsequent to that. So you're looking at like a timeline and that's having parts in, in hand um, and electrical components in hand. And there's no delay from that standpoint. When China was shut down for electrical components, um, then you know everything shut down. Literally, all you have is what you have ever on inventory and in stock. So that's highly problematic, right? So um, it really made us reevaluate like a just-in-time type of supply chain. And you have to have, you have to go towards more of like a mixed hybrid, um, which we had, right? Um, which was some inventory on hand and the rest of it. So you don't have a huge amount of overhead because um, unlike software, hardware is expensive and you usually place quarterly um, orders with your suppliers to, you know, kind of based on your forecast of what your, your expected, um, demand is going to be. Wow. Wow. This is totally fascinating. And I will say that, you know, I, I've been talking to a lot of entrepreneurs who are working with specific uh, products that are being developed and there has been a tremendous amount of transition away from China, not necessarily for tariffs. Uh, sometimes it's just a matter of quality control. You just are not allowed, you're not able to have good quality. You need somebody on the ground. There's a tremendous amount of like factors that, are that that lend itself to moving away from China, um, and well, a lot of people, you know, it, it looks cheap on the outset, but it ends up being more expensive, especially because twenty five percent of the product that when, once it arrives in America, you're going to have some problems with quality. You're going to end up only paying for seventy five percent of your product because the other twenty five percent is just going in the trash. Um, I yeah, personally, that's not, yeah, that's not a good that's not a good um, ratio, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I personally was going to have my perfume bottles made in China. And, um, I, that was actually, you know, I figured I'll, I'll just take the gamble and I'll make it happen. And then the factory that I was working with decided to, uh, focus instead on PPE. And they said, we can't do your product right away. It's going to have to take, you, you know, our, 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 like whatever we, it, it would take our ramp up rather, um, would take a couple months. And I said, well, I don't know if I necessarily have that. So it, they forced me into thinking about the, um, you know, higher price products here. But I know that when I have a higher price product here, I'm going to have a quality product. So yeah, moving to the United States for me was sort of like a forced decision, but at the same time, you know, just knowing the types of vendors that I'm working with now, I mean, it just it just feels it, I'm happier that I'm there. And yeah, of course, supporting supporting our locals is 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 tremendously, uh, you know, it, it it's it's just a rewarding process as well. We went to the factories, right? We met all the teams, and when you make a medical device, you have to ensure that your manufacturers actually obtain and they uh, maintain their GX, GXP um, compliance right? With just ensures that they have the ability. So all the factories actually in the manufacturers, um, typically the ones that we work with all manufacture other medical devices. So the grade of quality and control is very high because it has to be, you know, so yeah. slightly different. Like when you don't have that as a constraint, price is very different. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, this whole thing is, is, is challenging. I mean, you, and especially when you have something that, that obviously needs to meet FDA criteria. I mean, that's a yep. rigorous, that's r rigorous yeah. QA right there. For me, my, my QC is very, 
uh, okay, <laughs> a couple of bottles might not be good. All right, you know, at the end of the day, I'll, I'll cut, cut my losses. But this is something, God forbid, you get it in the consumer's hands and all of a sudden something fails and you, it's, it comes, it's a reputation thing. So going back to your tenant of, um, you know, quality being a non-negotiable component, um, I think, you know, you did exactly the right thing. Yeah. Well, moving from the products, I know I, I could talk about this forever, by the way. I think it's fascinating, and I, I just I just wish I did. Like, I always talk tell my podcast listeners that I like to jump into these podcasts entirely blinds. That's a there usually is a, a lot of pros to that. But in this case, it's a con because you're honestly you're like, I, I will say um, you're going to be one of my role models. <laughs> I hope I hope I hope we don't feel the pressure here. The pressure's mounting. Yeah, the pressure's mounting. All right, I'm, I'm going to be, we're going to be talking after this. But no, I mean, it's, it's, uh, don't, don't feel pressured. Honestly, I'm, I'm laid back anyhow, um, especially when I get more sleep. But no, but at the same time, you know, like this is like one of the coolest things I have really had. I mean, it's one of the coolest things I've heard about. And I think this is definitely like the product that's going to be someone you got to keep your eye on. And number two, I mean, like this is the wearable space is something that I've always very been fascinated by. I mean, I owns a Pebble, I owns, I own a Garmin, I owned a Fitbit, but I Fitbit didn't meet my criteria. Like I wore, I, I own the Spire. If you're familiar with the Spire, it's like something you wear on your. Uh, it probably, I think it would be. It's it's aligned with what you what your product has. It's it, it sort of was like a common. It tells you when you're like it, it monitors your breath and your heart rate. And it tells you when you're not calm and it kind of like tells you to calm down and to start taking deep breaths. It, like it was a very interesting product. I owned a couple of, I, I own the, the, the Sense Sleep Pod. And that was like a thing that you put on your pillow and it told you your quality of sleep. I want, I, like I said, I want to own the Aura Ring, but that's not something that uh, right now uh, I, I can't justify it yet. I said to myself, when my, my business takes off, then I'll be able to do it. I... I, I've always been like fascinated by this. I own Google Glass. I mean, you know, like I I would own wearable clothes, like any type of wearable, like any any electronic device product. I I want to I want to know about it. So and and I've been certainly familiar with others. I'm not even naming all the ones that I've been involved with. So um, I am your target customer. I will tell you that. And I I'm totally talking to you about beta testing. But yeah, moving moving on from that because like I said, I could talk about this forever. I want to talk because I know that this is a very mental health um, ties in very it correlates pretty heavily with self-care and I wanted to talk to you and get a little bit of insight about how you do that and to a certain point does your product like help you gear your self-care routine like maybe how that ties in yes I know we're making it more product oriented here but at the same time I kind of I'm fascinated I would be fascinated to hear how if, if there is some sort of integration that you you have in terms of how you leverage that or or, or in isolation either way so say that again what restate that question for me all right so i i will ask you the first part of the question is really the main question what is your self-care routine what are you doing right now to take care of yourself the second part of the question is does your product help you experience self-care in a, in a in a more wholesome way and if so how does the like i guess you you've explained the product use in that way but i'm kind of curious in knowing how you leverage that if that totally, makes sense totally totally makes sense um so my self-care routine 
is been, there's different things that make me that just kind of increase my joy or my happiness or, you know, take me to whatever state that I'm looking to, to be in, right? Whether that's calmness, serenity, or even rage sometimes, like screaming into a pillow. Um, the way that actually my ring and the app have helped me is understanding when I'm at a certain state and I want to change that. It shows me my before, so my what it was when I currently looked at it, and then during the event, and then the after. So was it, did I achieve my target um, mood expectations? And if I didn't, then it changes, the algorithm start recalibrating to increase or decrease the intensity and the likelihood of success for another event. Right. Um, so let me give you an example. So in the morning, uh, something that I really like to do is I like to go out and I like to get a coffee. Um, but sometimes, um, people work, it, it it's better mentally for people to kind of ex expand on novelty. So instead of me always going to the same place and having the same kind of experience, which isn't a bad one, um, it, the app actually promotes alternative things that are in similar veins to choose a little bit of a different or a differentiated experience. Um, so it might send me to, let's say, I'm giving you an easy example of coffee. Instead of going to Starbucks, which I go to every morning, it says, hey, there's mom and pop shop down the road, same type of distance, um, but you know, it's a little bit slightly different. Um, a different experience to have. Um, and then it'll give me a third option of something that's completely green space, like white, white space or a green field. Um, so think about like boba tea or something like that, where I don't ever have that. I don't ever go to those places, but you know, it's a whole new experience. And what it is, it's about understanding that different experiences. If you think back in the past couple of years, the things that stick with you the most are the experiences that you have that are not the norm part of your routine. So I incorporate that into that same type of logic into the app so that I start kind of trying to push people out of their safe kind of boundaries of what we do when we do the same thing in a routine where you almost feel like you're in a rut to give them alternative options, but have potentially better or enhanced after effect and results. Wow. Wow. So yeah, that's very cool. I'm, I, I love that. I love the idea of like experiencing new, uh, treading on new territory. Very, very cool. Uh, looking forward to, to learning a little more about that from my personal experience in, in trying it all out. Let me ask you what, like, you know, you, you talked about how you enjoy doing, take, having a coffee in the morning. Give me a little bit more, uh, if you can share about your, yeah. your self-care. What is, what is, what is your focus on yourself? What does that look like? Besides you we're working on a project. It's funny. Cause I clearly, I can, like I said, I, I can see our, your articulated passion about this project. And I think like this to you is probably self-care because you're doing like, I mean, I, I can hear it in your voice and I can hear it in, in every single answer you have. But I assume that sometimes you do like take a break from that. <laughs> I know I have to, I love my kids, but I love a break from my kids. So I'll just yes. put it that way. So tell um, me a little bit about that. So there's different things where I think of for self-care for myself, the smell of, um, fresh cut flowers. So I'm a big fan of stargazer lilies. I have them planted all in the front of my house and actually they're just starting to sprout. Um, I love to read for 15 minutes that entered. So when I think about things that fill up my bucket or that, um, make me feel more like me, 
it's some of these different things. Um, I have um, a little electric bike that I love. <laughs> it actually has a seat on the back for the two, my two girls. <laughs> and I love to take them on the bike. And actually I just ride for like an hour. Just, I just cruise around town everywhere. I love feeling the wind on my face and, um, having the girls with me, like everybody's like, you're the best mom ever. I'm like, yes. <laughs> um, I love to actually, um, put my feet in wet grass and move my toes around. It's called like a grounding. Um, I enjoy, uh, like getting dirty with, um, planting flowers. It's something that just feels earthy. And I really, really enjoy the physical, the physicality of that. Um, since with all the gyms and everything closed, I have not been so much of a runner on the streets <laughs> um, or working out with weights. I usually was a very big weightlifter um, and I have the stuff at home, but I'm not, I've been kind of avoiding everything with that, which has been unfortunate because I really enjoy my you know, personal time of working out, but I don't feel that I have necessarily that space um, where I'm comfortable to do so right now. So instead I've been, um, doing more like hikes. I really love like hiking in nature and I like being in the outdoors a lot. So hiking, swimming, swimming in a waterfall with a hike. Love that. Like, I just love being in that type of area. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Uh, personal, I, first of all, it's, it's great. You're like shooting off all these different things again, very little pause, no little, no pause. And, um, for me personally, it's funny, like, I came to, I mean, having coronavirus, uh, literally, I was in quarantine, I remember, and I called my Orange Theory Fitness Gym, and I told them I'm in quarantine, because this was before, I actually was in quarantine two weeks before the rest of the, well, the rest of the state, um, and I was a group, I was in a cluster of a thousand people, and I remember calling my gym saying, I'm in quarantine, and they freaked out, and they called the Department of Health, and like, is there anything you need to worry about, and they're like, no, you don't have to worry about it, but for some reason, they never closed. Meanwhile, now we're all closed, and I feel like, thank God the world stopped spinning because I was very frustrated that I didn't have to. But that was that was a deterrent. Not going to the gym was definitely very difficult. And um, not having the transitions, like to take my kid to school so that I can go to the gym after I take him to school, like that was something that was incredibly important to me. And I, it took me about, it's, it was only last, last week that I said to myself, I'm gonna start getting very serious about doing this again. But it took, it, it really, it required a tremendous amount of like discipline because once your world is shattered, and I think all of our worlds are shattered in COVID-19, um, you know, our normal, our norm is gone. And for me personally, my norm was definitely gone. I spent, I went to the gym four to five times a week. Uh, I would run on top of that. And these days, um, or rather until about last week, it was like, you know, I'd walk and I'm trying to start running again. But I'm also trying to make sure every single day uh, daily, and I just started this, I think this is day seven actually, that I wanna, every single day, I wanna make sure I break a sweat. And that requires, yeah, there's gonna be a little bit of weightlifting, but that's, it's still new to me. I'm still trying to do it. I would say that for your sake, if you're gonna be well, lifting weights, you need to um, get back to it soon because it's a lot harder to lift weights when you haven't lifted for a while. So right? that's my only advice. <laughs> exactly, right? And I don't have like light weights. Like I used to do like Olympic um, dead weight lifting. <laughs> so it's, yeah, that's, like that's going to be hard. 12 I, kg. I just, yeah. You, you, you got to go back to the dumbbells then the tiny dumbbells. 
<laughs> yeah, I just got the kettlebell, so I'm going to have to work with that. It'll be a work in progress. But that's kind of, you know, I mean, the first thing when I get up, right, I like to have my coffee. Um, I used to actually really like to ride my bike every morning, listen to music. I really enjoy, like, I listen to, like, heavy, heavy, like, rap. I love it. Like, I love, <laughs> like, old school, like, old school, like, NWA stuff. I love it. And I would actually ride my bike. There's a beautiful cemetery, like, right down the street from me. I would ride, I ride my my bike to the cemetery every day. And it's the most peaceful place I have to say, listening to my rap. And um, then I cruise around town and come back. And then usually I start. <laughs> That's like the most like, you know, kind of me time <laughs> that I have. Uh, I get it. I get it. When, when, when things were normal, I would wake up. I had to spend about an hour uh, doing like either language learning on Duolingo uh, or I would just surf the internet or I would answer emails. I take my kid to school and it was annoying because school started at eight o'clock and my, my gym was 15 minutes away and there'd be an eight, 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 there'd be an eight o'clock class. So I get there at eight fifteen, and the next class was at nine fifteen, and I have to wait for an hour in the parking lot. And I ended up having to just, I just got work done. And that was my, like, you know, kind of like my, it, like, it, it was very, very annoying transitions. Then I'd go to the gym and then I'd come home and then I'd just start my day. And of course, things were shifted. That meant when school, like I'd pick up my son again uh, and sometimes my other children, school's over and then I have to get back to work because <laughs> like you just have to make it work, especially because you need that me time. Yeah, I've seen that, you know, the, the biggest concern I have is that the blending of the day. So now I've, I've always worked kind of odd hours just whenever the inspiration hits, right? Um, and getting stuff done and having deadlines. But now with this, it's more of working kind of almost throughout your day, but at different times. So like the kids now, especially with summertime and nobody's in school and then school's kind of gone, who knows if it's coming back, um, kind of taking that time to play with them very hands-on or doing homework or very like very specific things in the morning for a few hours. And then, you know, picking that back up at like eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night through on, you know? So that's kind of been a bigger shift is not having like much more of a clear, clear cut day, you know, defined. It's more of, okay, what are the meetings for the day? Let's try to schedule what we can. And then, um, in, in between that, you know, being with the kids and spending that like quality time with them. Yeah, I totally get it. I'm in the same boat, honestly. Like I said, um, I, I gotten, according to Garmin, I got two hours and 19 minutes of sleep last night. I worked until two o'clock in the morning. I went to bed about 2.25 and then I was up at 4.40 or whatever it was. And I had like, it's, it's startup angst right now. <laughs> I have to tell you, it's startup angst. And I'm sitting there and then I have my colleagues from uh, and team members from Pakistan messaging me and I'm just like, okay, you know what? I guess my day started. <laughs> so that's just how it is. And sometimes you just got to work on those un unconventional schedules. There's no normalcy, especially when you're in the startup world and you're really kind of like doing your own thing and you're, you're dictating what, what your future is like. It's not, it's not gonna, you gotta, you gotta work around the kids. You gotta work around yourself. You gotta work or whatever when, and, and when the spark comes. So I totally get yeah. it. And then you've got to also take it take into account that, you know, what happens if the small micro movements that you could take throughout your day could give you a better outcome with less sleep, right? So what happens if you could get a vitamin B shot or a shot of wheatgrass or something else, or you could take a run in between that could actually reconstitute the rest of your day and you could be more productive. That's what we do as well, right? Um, I think about that. Is I'm not sure if 
I, I'm not sure if like at four o'clock in the morning, I thought to myself, you know what? I could probably run, but I think my body would kill me. <laughs> so I, I think I'd be punished to do that. But yes, in, in theory, it sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Let me, let me ask you, let me ask you the, the other question. And I'm sure there's going to be no pause in this answer, but there always is a pause. And I always have to like minimize that pause because sometimes that pause could be really long. Um, if you can give an earlier version of yourself a piece of advice, what would you tell her? That's a good I'm question. Surprised. No, I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> there was that pause there. All right. Well, sorry. Go for no, it. no, it's okay. Um, I think it's, you know, don't give up, right? There's so many times when I have to tell you how many different conversations I've had with different investors and different things where they look at me like I'm batshit crazy. Um, it can't be done. It won't be done. And it's so easy to just not do it. Right. Um, it comes down to grit. And I think had I known what I know now, when I was younger, I might've said, go software, go software. <laughs> just um, no, I mean, I think it's just stick with it. And I, I honestly, the, I don't, let me think. Now, if I give advice to myself, let's say when I was 18. Oh, wow. I mean, everything that I did along the way, and I had a lot of advice, especially from my mom and my dad around a lot of the stuff as they got older, they said, Hey, I wish I knew this at your age and we're giving you this information. I really took a lot of that advice and mentoring to help. I think the biggest advice I would um, tell myself is to ensure that I have um, mentors at every different stage of my life and, and finding that mentor and making that a really big priority versus um, barreling through right? With brute strength of getting it done. Having a, a mentor is not the same thing as like a, somebody that works with you in your career, someone, an advocate for you, um, a mentor in life that, um, really can help guide you as you go through different times and provide just a different perspective that can help challenge you and, you know, offer alternative futures, right? that you could take under consideration things that you just don't know what you don't know. Yeah. I think that's very powerful. I think a lot of people underestimate the power of mentorships and in general. And I know for me, it's still, that's still something that I'm trying to find the right mentors. It's, it's, it's a very difficult. And I think this is something you should tackle in, in like your founder journey. You should talk about that. I think that would be a great piece to read about finding the right mentor, how, what kind of cadence they should have, all of those things because that's hard. I haven't figured it out for myself um, and I'm still working my way, but I think it's so important to have a mentor. Like you definitely need those people. You need to be able to get somebody who offers in contrarian perspective, who can truly give you honest feedback without hurting, like, you know, no sugarcoating it and getting, getting it, you know, steering you on that path to success. I think that's really, really helpful. I almost feel like I should ask you to be my mentor because you clearly got it. You got it going on and you, you just you, like, I just, like I said, you, everything you say exudes this personality and this grit, as you said, and like, I see nothing but success coming in your future. So yeah, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. 
Thank you all again for tuning in. This is your host, Tamar Weinberg of the Common Sense Podcast. Till next time.